This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we are doing yet another episode from the Protégé Season 2, and we are featuring Miss Karen Seifert, who is from the great state of Florida and has an agency down there after a long career selling other stuff. So we're going to talk today about her experience on the show. But before we do that, Karen, tell them who you are and where you came from and what your background is. So I'm originally from Ohio. David, I think you are too, right? I am. What part? Um, Outside of Cleveland, small town okay. called North okay. Ridgeville. It's easier just to say Cleveland. People are more familiar with that. But when you're born in Lorraine, you know where North Ridgeville is. So Yes, you do. <laughs> yep. I was just up there, actually. Um, whenever it was, I spoke in Cleveland for the... Uh, that event for the insurance board in Northern Ohio. And I actually went to Cedar point and spent time with my family that still lives in Lorraine Amherst and Elyria. Oh, that's awesome. I took my two older boys and made a trip out of it. Cool. Was that their first time to Cedar point? It was their first time to Cedar point. It may as well have been my first time to Cedar point because <laughs> it's probably been 20 plus years since I had been there. So, Okay. Yeah, my awesome. parents are from Columbus as well. So, so. anyway, yeah. I've You've got a lot of Ohio on this podcast, Karen. Woo! That's right. I can feel the Midwestern vibes. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been in Florida for the last 18 years. Um, I've got two amazing grown kids and a wonderful son-in-law. Actually, my son moved back to Ohio about a year ago. And um, like you said, David, prior to getting into insurance, I was in B2B sales and management uh, in a lot of different capacities, products, services, whatever. And it was kind of interesting because, you know, I think you might have actually pointed this out or, you know, it occurred to me when you and I were talking a long time ago, you know, before I even got into the insurance industry, like I was already helping my clients with risk management and mitigating risks before I got into insurance because I was like helping them with things like OSHA, EPA, and HACCP compliance, 
and how to prevent slip and falls, training their employees on safety things, um, such as like the hazardous communication standard, which is one of the always one of the top ten most cited OSHA violations. So um, I just like I really wanted to do more and help the business I, I serve even more. One of my lifelong besties dad lost his business. And I think I, I'm pretty sure I said this in my submission video. Um, he lost a business he worked his whole entire life to build. When the building his business was in went up into flames and it wasn't insured properly. Mm. So that's kind of how I decided to get into the insurance business and work with businesses on the commercial side. You're muted, David. I wonder Sorry, why let me, yeah, let me, let me so explain. <laughs> yeah, let me explain what happened. I've been drinking these little Celsius packets, and this one did not tear properly. So I tried to do it with my teeth, and it slipped and cut the living crap out of my gums. So oh, I, had, I, I had to get I had to get a knife brought in so that I could have my energy drink because I'm going to need it to deal with Karen on this. She's got a lot more energy than I do in the mornings. So. Karen, when you when you got into the industry, I I think I remember this, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Didn't you did you work as a producer anywhere, or did you just say screw it? I'm starting an agency. If I'm going to do this, I'm going all in. Um. So actually, I I had someone. You know, when I decided to do this, there was someone that had a small agency. Um had been in the business a long time and started their agency a few years ago and said, Hey, you know, you can come work with me. And I said, okay, great. But I don't want to be an employee. I just want to be a 1099. He said, okay, great. No problem. And then I said, you know, we should have an agreement in writing. And then he gives me this employment and non-compete. And I'm like, what's up? Like, um, this says you're giving me benefits and you're not, and you're not paying me a salary. I'm not an employee. I'm 1099. Like this agreement was nothing like we agreed to verbally. So let me have my attorney rework it. He didn't like it. I it just, it, it got ugly. And I just said, you know what? This is not going to work. Hmm. And so you decided you were opening up streamlined. Yes. So how much experience did you have before you yeah before you launched the agency in the actual insurance game? Because it doesn't sound like you really got off the ground very well with the first first day. No, well they had a website, but there was no SEO. They had no social presence. Um, like there was nothing. Like I googled them, like they didn't even come up on the first page. So. Um, you know, I met with a couple other agencies and the owners just said, you know, why don't you just start your own? Interesting. And I knew that was going to be my goal anyway. I knew I was going to start my own agency. Um, you know, I read some things online that said you shouldn't start an agency till you've worked for somebody for two years. <laughs> things you like that. that. Yeah. But, you know, I just said, look, if this is where I'm ultimately going to go, like, let me just do it. 
Let me just jump in with both feet. Why wait two more years? Like I'm not getting any younger and, you know, I've run businesses before, never an insurance business, but you know. So talk about some of the challenges with that. Obviously that's Dude, gotta like, be. Hold on. Before you do whole... that, for any, yeah. Before we even get into that, if anybody out there is bitching about what your life is like right now, I want you to hear what Karen just said she did. She didn't go work for anybody else. She didn't wait until she learned how to produce. She literally opened a scratch agency with no real experience in insurance and no real experience of owning an agency. And that is not a slam by any stretch. I'm telling you that there are a lot of people out there that complain about the position they're in as a producer or as an agency owner. And specifically with lack of support and resources and everything, regardless of position. And here's somebody who just said, screw it. This is where I want to end up at. So I'm going to go ahead and start where I want to end. I respect that a lot. I mean, I think you're nuts, but I respect it. <laughs> I, don't, okay. I mean, you're not the only person in my lifetime who thought I was crazy. There's a lot of things that I've done that people said. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I'm tell- I say that's not going to work. And I said, well, it, you're oh, entitled to your I'm not telling you it's not going to work. Yeah, I'm not telling no, I, you it's not going to work. You didn't say that. I'm just I'm just telling you from my perspective, I was a producer for 12 years before I launched Florida Risk. And I know how many challenges I had, you know, just moving over. And and yeah. keep in mind, I had 10 years of total P&L responsibility before I was ever a producer, so I knew the financial side and how to run the business. But it's a uh, whole different animal when when you go, I mean, and and I hadn't had that responsibility in a little while just because I was I was producing at the time, but I can't even imagine. So Kyle, go ahead, lay it on her because I want to hear the answer. Can I throw one more thing in there? Yeah, go ahead. Like like when you asked me about before I opened Streamline, if I was working with anyone and I told you about that little scenario, the real straw that broke the camel's back was, you know, I've been here for 18 years. I've been in B2B sales. I know a lot of people. I've dealt with a ton of businesses, hundreds, thousands of businesses in my career that BS contract that he gave me said that he would own 50% of my book of business. And if I left, I'd have to buy him out. And that was the deal breaker for me. Cause I said, you're not like, what are you doing for me? You're not right. teaching me. You're not teaching me. You're not, you have no lead generation. You don't have flyers or brochures. Like what are you doing for me? Why should you get 50% of my book of business? These are my contacts. You know, that would be a different story. I mean, like if you if you were an empl- what it sounds like to me is that he gave you a standard non-compete for an employee agent. And what you're telling me about the 50 percent ownership in the book of business is 100 percent normal. If you're an employee of an agency, that's the same deal that I've had in the other two agencies that I worked in. And if I wanted to leave, I could buy out the other 50 percent known it. I shouldn't say it was the exact same deal. Mine was a little bit different, but that 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 part wouldn't freak me out. What would freak me out is if you're not getting any support, any resources, you're generating everything on your own. There is no tech platform or anything like that. Why would you be willing to sign any kind of a non-compete agreement for clients that you had to go out and generate on right. your own dime? No right. I would I wouldn't I wouldn't think that I wouldn't sign that either as an independent contractor. Yeah, it sounds yeah. terrible. That's what yep. I thought. So Kyle, lay it so, on. Well, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to know what, I mean, you jump straight in, like talk about some of the challenges. Cause I mean, we've on this podcast have talked with several, um, you know, 
been in agents that just kind of jumped in and and they but they had the experience before you know and their their biggest thing was like getting appointments and, and so I'm j- I'm just curious if that, that was the same thing for you or if it was something else just because you went you know from zero to a hundred. So what what were the challenges? I honestly everything was what a was challenge. It? I was going to say, what wasn't the challenge? I'm going to tell you, yeah, what wasn't the challenge? Like, everything was. Like, I wasn't really, you know, I mean, I knew, you know, that I needed to pick my colors and my logo and the name and, you know, those kind of basic things that I was good with. When it came to the insurance part, like, that was the hard part. Like, I couldn't find any really good resources on, like, how to start an agency that really got in depth and told you how to go about it. So someday maybe I'll write a book about that. Um, But I think one of the biggest challenges I had initially was you have to have an appointment to get your agency license in Florida. And you can't get your license until you have an appointment. So I'm like, what, how the hell does this work? Like you can't get one without the other. Neither one will give it to you. (laughs) <laughs> so that was a real, that was a real challenge for me. And I, I don't even know how it happened, but really just kind of by the grace of God, because a lot of things just happened. I swear by the grace of God, because I didn't know where to go or how to figure this out. And like, God would just put somebody in my path at the right time. And they had an answer. And I got connected with FAIA and I spoke to someone there and I told them what my issue was, you know, they wanted me to join, but I said, okay, but how can you help me? And like, (laughs) this is what I need right now. And they said, we can help you with that, you know, and then getting other appointments, like, um, actually one of the guys I met with that I was thinking about going to work with, who's now my good buddy, Sir Matt Beck, who has an insurance agency in the same city I'm in, but he's more heavy into personal lines. Like, you know, he made mutual introductions to a lot of people to help me get appointments. Nice. So how long have you been at it at this point? Um, just a little over a year, probably. Cause you know, it took a while to get everything done and set up and get the appointments. So how would you, how would you say things are going at this point? A year in. Okay, well, I'm a pretty impatient person. No. Uh, (laughs) You know, hey, but look, who doesn't like instant gratification, right? Absolutely. Um, A big fan of myself. You know, it's going well, but it's not going as well as I would have hoped it was at this point, but it's getting better every day. Well, that's good. At least you're making forward progress. I mean, that's better than the alternative, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so like, um, you know, there were so many things that the protege helped me with. And like in your book, like the extra two minutes, you said you got to go slow before you can go fast. Yep. So just, and and you've probably said that on a podcast or somewhere else before, because I feel like I've heard it from you more than just reading it in your book. Oh, I say it all the time. You have to slow down to speed up. Like yeah. that, that's the thing. And it's very, very difficult for people who are wired to be producers to do that. Like that's the hardest thing in the world, but it applies to so much more when 
when you get in, specifically when you get into middle market and you try and go after it because, you know, you could sit at your desk right now. Like literally, if you said, you know what, I'm going to throw a few hundred bucks a month at, at uh, Facebook ads and Google ads and do everything I can to get inbound leads to come in. And you could sit there and you could have activity coming through your website. You could have people calling in. You could be quoting. You could be writing policies and you could be screwing yourself forever growing that agency to what you want it to be because people think just because you're busy that you're actually making money. And that's the number one trap that you fall into when you're new as an agency owner. And listen, I'm not, I'm not speaking at you. I'm telling you what I went through. And I've talked about this a lot with everybody that has been on protege, but you get to that point where you're feeling like, God, I just have all this pressure and people are harping at me for new business. And you know, my kids need to eat, you know, and all of this other stuff. And you start breaking your own promise to yourself that this is how I'm going to build my agency. I'm not going to deviate from it. Next thing you know, you know, you're, you're getting ENS policies from artisan contractors that are going to cancel for non-pay in three months. And you're dealing with chargebacks to the carrier and unearned commissions and all of this other stuff. When really, if you just slow down and breathe and you say, I'm only going to write this, even though it takes a little bit longer it's so much smoother in the process and it's the easiest advice in the world to give from the other side of that. Mm. But it's the right. hardest thing to live when you're going through it. It's 100% yeah. right. the most difficult thing. No, I get it. But just like, you know, reading that in the extra two minutes and hearing you say that a couple times, like it really helped me because like I said, I have a tendency to be a little impatient and mostly with myself. I'm like, more impatient with myself than anybody else, you know, because like I just am. So, but that helped me a lot. And um, every time you feel yourself getting impatient, pick up the phone and telemarket to 15 people. What's that? Every time you feel yourself getting impatient, pick up the phones and telemarket to 15 people. One of two things is going to happen or both, right? You're going to get appointments and that's going to cure your impatience. Or you're going to get sick of being on the phone. So you're not going to allow yourself to get impatient. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. But do that. You make forward progress that way. That's one thing that I always used to do because I hate the phones. I hate calling like, yeah, with a passion. Same. And we were talking about, I was talking about this with Abby yesterday um, in the office. And I told her, I'm like, it's not even that I'm bad on them. I'm actually really good. Like if somebody calls in and they want to talk and they're looking for coverage, I will literally take 15 minutes to explain everything that they need to know. I will educate them. They like Raphael was on vacation last week, right? I've never written a mobile pet groomer in my life, but we have a niche for mobile pet groomers at Florida Risk. So we get all of these inbound leads and we, I I actually wrote two mobile pet groomers over the phone while I was quoting them and talking to them and explaining everything to them last week. But I don't want to pick up the phone and dial cold to mobile pet groomers. From dumb and dumber, man. I just can't with the, with the shagging wagon. I actually said that to Chris Land. Yeah. (laughs) I was going back and forth with Chris Langell from advisor evolved this morning because his other company, they do our website and local traffic marketing. His other company does the paid ads. And I'm like, dude, we are absolutely crushing this mobile pet grooming thing. So <laughs> go crazy. ahead and put the, go ahead and put the, the Facebook ads up. And he goes, this is so weird because when you do all the keyword research, there's nothing there for it. And I'm like, well, 
worked well on the wedding, so let's see what happens. And yeah. guess what? It, it, sure enough, the inbound stuff happened. But I, I said, I just picture these people all driving around in that stupid thing from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> the music the just time. plays in my head where he's like, where he's like going That's over the jump and the, the mustard flies everywhere. It's so good. Yeah, I, I agree but with anyhow. you on the uh, on, on the phone situation, and I, I like I hate it, and it just. To me, I think it's because it feels like a chore, and chores suck. Um, but I'm I would be happy to go out and, and if I was going to make thirty calls on the phone, I would be so much happier just to walk into the businesses and talk with them in person. Just how I've always been, and it's probably because that's what most of my sales roles in the past have been. Um, but I don't know, man. The phone's just. It, it, and I think most people kind of say that, and, and I don't know if there's something else to it, but um, there's one guy I know on the face of the earth that <laughs> loves the phones. Uh, yeah, I know who you're going to say. Chris Beal from Connect That's and it. Sell. That's the one guy that uh, loves the phones. Yeah, I, okay. I, I mean, I, I don't know what it is. Um, it's just, it's just not my, not my thing. Yeah, well. I mean, look, dude, the memes are all over social media. Pictures of the phone that says, pick me up, I make you money, right? Yeah. Like, we know it works. It's just, I don't know. It's just a weird mental block, I guess. Yeah, I agree. The thing I hate the most about phones is, you know, it's it's so hard to get anybody to answer their phone today. It is. Like, people just don't answer their phone. So, like, if I see a call come in that I don't know the number, that that's going to voicemail. And, um, you know, it, it's. Dude, my phone is set up. So if you're not yeah. in my contacts list, you're automatically going to voicemail. It doesn't even ring. I th- right. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think the other thing, too, about the phones is that it is versus like in person. Like I, I like it in person more because I can there's ob- obvious things like, so, you know, uh, body language cues and things like that. But it's way harder just to tell somebody no in person when they're there having a conversation with you than it is to just be a dick on the phone. Like, yeah, especially when I walk in like a big dumb animal. I mean, nobody's. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to. They want to hear what you feel sorry for. Me. They want to hear what you have to say. Let the fat guy eat. Let, let him <laughs> eat. You know, just we, we want to hear what he has to say so he can afford to buy his lunch. Uh, <laughs> like even if they don't want to hear you say, it's way harder to tell somebody no yeah. in person than right. it is on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So listen, you see the announcement. Why did you decide to throw your hat in the ring? Oh, well, that's really simple. That's just simple. I, I wanted your c- killing commercial program. <laughs> that was my go. whole motivation. Well, you got it. I mean, you didn't get the whole thing, but you got a good flavor of it. And I mean, I think, remind me who your coaches were. I'm having a brain Brian, freeze. Brian Keating and Mick Hunt. Oh, geez. Well, you couldn't have had better. I can't speak for my Keating. coaches like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't speak for Keating. He looks like the guy from Ray Donovan on Amazon. But um, he Keating does. Awesome. No, he is. Like, I love. Listen, when Ryan it when Ryan's he on, Ryan's on. Yeah, yeah he seriously he, went above and beyond. He was great. Absolutely. I, I love him to death, but I also love to bust his chops, and that's just the way it's always going to be. He's kind of like a little brother to me. But I'm really glad you had Mick because, you know, from. Somebody who didn't have experience running an agency, like that guy's, in my opinion, the best in the country for going in and showing people how to put in rev ops in their agency. Like there is nobody better, in my opinion. 
he could come in here and improve Florida risk dramatically. And we've talked about it, right? And when the time comes, he's going to come in and do that. But, um, you know, I think, I think that you actually got, yeah, two really good coaches because Keating is not dumb. Okay. Keating is actually really, really smart. And when I, um, when I, when, even when he was on protege last season, when he was on, man, his work product was the best. Like it was, he went to a completely different level than I ever would have expected him to, him to go to just based on us hanging out socially. Right. Cause Brian and I never really have done deals together or worked on anything. But when I saw some of the spreadsheets and things like that, that he put together and how he really thinks behind the scenes, he's a really analytical guy, you know, when he wants to be. Yeah, he is. Keating, if you're listening to this, man, that's how you need to be every day. It doesn't need to come in waves. Don't blame it on your dad. It's a, it's you. Well, I think probably one of the things that's huge for him, too, is all the other experience that he's had. I mean, he's one of the people oh that I know that's got, that's got more, more jobs than I've had. But he also... When we had Keating... So we had Keating on the podcast before he was ever on Protégé. And we were like 15, 20 minutes in, and he is still rattling off his work experience. And I stopped him. I'm like, are we interviewing Forrest Gump for crying out loud? How many jobs have you had in your life? Cherry orchards in there. And I mean, yeah. also, it's, but he worked for Sidcor too, which is the the main company that, um, you know, I was working for, for the office supplies. And it's like, I mean, it really was kind of a master, you know, a, a master's in, in sales. It's like an accelerated you know, masterclass in that. And it's, um, you know, I, I know that's, that's contributed to some of his success for sure. Yep. Yeah. He does pretty well considering, you know, the situation that he's in up there. It's kind of, he's kind of got his hands handcuffed a little bit. And I know again, man, we talked with, uh, Steven Turnbull yesterday about working in a family agency. Keating's lasted longer than I would. And I mean, it's not a shot at his dad by any stretch. His dad's a really nice guy too, but We've got to figure out how to solve this problem of the old guard of agency principles and the new breed of people that are going to be moving in and taking their place and figure out how to get them to get along and work with each other and collaborate while they're coexisting, right? Because that's the only way these perpetuation plans are going to work. How do you do that? I mean, I feel like it's like that in every single industry. Like, I mean, even you, you, like look at the NBA. You've got all like these old NBA stars like, you know, Bill Russell and uh, Jerry West are having beef with the new, you know, with, with JJ Redick and the stuff that he says about how like the old NBA players would just get absolutely dusted in today's NBA. And it's like, no chance. Tell that to Bill Lambeer and see what happens. Well, I know, but it's like, the, it, it, it's a totally different game now. And it's just like you're comparing two things that aren't the same. But I just, I, I feel like this is the same. It like, it, it happens in every industry. Like, how, how do you, how do you bridge that gap without somebody feeling like their way is right and the new way is wrong and vice versa? I don't know. Well, if I was going to deal with J.J. Redick, I would just introduce him to the 1989 Detroit Pistons and see how he liked them. Oh, yeah. Let him make those comments to those guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, he would... Um, I, I like J.J. Redick. I like him as a player. I, I think like his job as an analyst is to be the guy that's coming out with hot takes and pushing buttons and stuff like that, but... Anyhow, I just I I, I think that Andy, that is he's the Andy Matheson of the NBA. <laughs> Here you go. So, Karen, you get into the protege. What is the biggest surprise that you got like through the time that you were in the challenges? 
Um, oh boy, I had surprises every day. <laughs> in, Lotus up. With it, in the protege and outside of the protege. But honestly, like at, at the end of it, when everything is said and done, um, I think looking back at the very end, like the thing that probably surprised me the most is that like there were how many contestants were there initially? How many did we start with? 16. 16. 16. So like the thing that really surprised me the most looking back is that there's 16 people like David, I know you have a lot going on with between Florida risk partners and killing commercial and the podcast and the protege and your four kids and your lovely wife and who knows whatever else. But, like, you got a lot going on. So what really surprised me is that you actually took the time to sit down on every single challenge and watch 16 submissions. Twice. And twice. Well, that doesn't surprise me because you give, like, really thoughtful and thorough feedback. And sometimes direct. (laughs) Most of the time direct. Yeah, most of the time it was very direct, but you know what I love? I love that. Like, even though sometimes it's not what you want to hear, I love it because it's not BS. And how can you get better? You can't get right. better if somebody's just telling you what you want to hear. I prefer brutal honesty. Brutal honesty. So, like, tell me the truth. And you did. But you took the time. You didn't just say, hey, yeah, that was okay or good job or, you know, you could have done a little better. No, you were really, like thoughtful and took the time to explain things. So like that surprised me. Like that was a lot for you to do. Um, it is. It's why I question whether or not I'll ever do season three. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, I'm on the fence right now. I'm not sure what's huh. going to happen. So what, do you, okay. what was the, when you were going through the challenges, what was the toughest challenge for you? Um, and here's the thing hmm. that here, I'll, I'll, while you're thinking about that, cause I'll, I'll make some comments while you're thinking about it. Um, one of the things that we did differently this year that we didn't do last year is you guys had two weeks last year, last season, it was only one week between challenges because we were trying to cram everything we could as quickly as we could to get people into the production round so that we could do the live thing because the live, it, it, this was originally supposed to be revealed at innovation in, in, in Tampa in the spring for season one. So we were addressing it as if we had to have everybody through all of the competition, including the production piece by April. So we started and worked through the holidays and everything else. And then when we, when innovation got moved to November, I was like, I can't make these people. I, I can't drag this out. I mean, I don't want, it wasn't even about me. It was about, I didn't want them to have to drag out that long because if we would have waited until innovation in November to re- to to have the final three and the results of the live vote and their last presentations and everything, they literally would have been competing for a year at that point because we wow. started in November or October before Christmas. And so I said, I'm not doing that again. We're gonna make we're, I'm gonna give everybody two weeks between challenges, and hopefully that will help me not have to chase people down for submissions and all of the other things. What I found out was um, I don't really think it mattered because the people that were going to feel rushed in the process still felt rushed, even though it was two weeks. And I still had to chase people down. And that became problematic because, you know, when I wasn't getting submissions in a timely fashion, I know, Karen, this is going to be really hard for you to believe, but I am a big softy in some circumstances and I let it slide more than I should have. I should have just cut their ass immediately, but I didn't. 
because I had quality people that I knew had a quality work product and for the overall integrity of the show itself and teaching other people who aren't don't have the, the courage to put themselves out there that are watching on YouTube, I wanted to make sure they saw that work product because my ultimate goal is to educate the industry, period. And so what happened is that pushed back and pushed back and unfortunately it pushed back too far and it got into my travel season and then all bets were off because I ran like a wild man for almost two months and didn't have time to sit and watch videos. I didn't have time to give feedback. And as we got into challenges seven and eight, you guys saw that because it took forever to get the last two episodes done. I simply didn't have the bandwidth to do it. So for me, I'm looking at it and I'm like, eh, if I do this again, how do I want to do it? Well, guess what? Number one, I'm going to change the the challenge piece. Number two, I'm not letting 16 people in ever again. I'm cutting people right out of the box because I allowed that many people in because I thought those were like all really good people from an application standpoint, from a background standpoint and everything else. It's just too much to manage. And, you know, then when I got down to the finals, who's going to go out into production? I couldn't make the cut. I couldn't do it. That's why we have eight instead of six, because the, la the the four people that I was on the fence about between it being six and eight, I just said they're too close. I'm not I'm not going to make the cut. I'll just roll it out as a surprise and let eight people go into the production round and then we'll narrow it down to three from there. Then it's not my then it's not my decision. It's up to their results and they can't blame me for it. So I felt like by us going to eight, I gave I gave everybody the best eight that could do it. So. All that to say, what do you think? What was your toughest challenge when you went through it? Man, I'm gonna be like, thank God we had two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> one would have been uh, that would have been really tough. Honestly, like this is so not what you're gonna want to hear because I know how you, I, I remember something you said in the past. But honestly, like the hardest part for me was just like carving out the time to get them done. Um. And this wasn't something I knew was going to happen when I sent in my submission video, but besides trying to run my agency while going through the protege challenges, I had to do a complete and total rehab on two properties, two single family mm. homes and dealing with an eviction at another property and taking three of my CIC classes and all of this was happening over the course of like four months, mm. I'm trying to juggle all these things. Like I was literally working 12, 15, 18 hour days, nonstop, no break, seven days a week for four months. Wow. So you want to be a producer. <laughs> like, what's that? I said, so you want to be a producer. <laughs> It'll be well, fun, that's Lisa. I mean, now it was, you know, it was something that had to be done. So whatever. Yeah. But the fact is, Karen, here's the thing. If you wouldn't have told me that I would have never known because your work product didn't suffer. So if you want a pat on the back, not that you need one, but I'm telling you, like, I never would have known that you were spread that thin because I look at it this way. I mean, and, and basically because of the rehab stuff, if you were if you were telling me that it was just getting in the way of you running the agency, I probably wouldn't listen to you. Right. Because in my mind, and we talked about this. We talked with Brian McCall yesterday. What an audio circus that was. <laughs> but um, when we were talking to him yesterday, I told him, I'm like, 
I think the biggest disconnect for the people that compete in the show is that they think they're doing it for the show. They're not. If they pay attention and they do the challenges, they're building the value prop and the processes for their career as a producer as they go. Like you're literally getting everything in a box, you know, for lack of a better description, that if you take that seriously and you build it like this is what I'm going to use in my agency going forward, you're ultimately going to be successful. I don't care if you win the show or not, right? Derek right. Hayden built an awesome mousetrap last year. He wrote $70,000 of revenue in three months for his agency using the mousetrap he built in the protege. Jason Webb didn't write crap when he was in the, in the production round. Webb has written several hundred thousand in revenue now because of the tools he built in the, in the people he was around and the mentorship that he had and all of that in the protege. So he's a winner in real life because he took it seriously. It's just sometimes the flywheel is not going to catch in that three month window of production, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to catch. Right. Right. So, and, and the trick is, and I can't come out and tell everybody this, but the trick is that if you're building this stuff, you need to start using it as you're building it because you don't want to want you don't want to start in the three month production round. You already want to have velocity before you get there so that you're landing stuff from people who wait until those three months to originate deals, hoping they're going to close them and be able to win. It's going to be really, really tough for them to do that. Because right. it's a long sales cycle or a longer sales cycle. But if it they start in January, they've got opportunities. I agree. So yeah, you're so out. Like, go ahead. So like one other thing, like as far as the challenges, like go. Um, I think probably the one that was like the most challenging for me was the lead nurturing campaign. And even though I've worked previously for very large, major national corporations, I'm familiar with CRMs, I have a CRM for my agency, none of these major corporations I worked for, none of them had a lead nurturing campaign. Hmm. They didn't have one. So, so that was probably my most challenging because I was also trying to figure out like, okay, what's the best subject lines and researching like, what subject lines have the highest open rate and content and um, yeah. And just trying to figure out the timing, uh, the frequency of how to send it out. I will tell you out of every, and I've said this to a couple of people, but you all, you all deserve it. I can't think of a time when I gave feedback that yours was terrible, right? Like I, I, and what I mean is I think that you were definitely, if I were to pick a top three of being consistent with your work product, whether it got edited into what we put on YouTube or not is irrelevant to the thought process. But I can't think of a time like you, you were definitely one of the top three most consistent people with your work product every week. There's no doubt in my mind about that. There you go. Um, Look, I, I mean, I took this serious. I took this like, this is part of my job. I mean, yeah, I want the killing commercial program, but I'm still going to do my best on every single challenge because I know this is going to help me build the foundation going forward and to, you know, just all of the challenges we did and build up my 
value proposition and all of those things. Um, you know, the, there was things that I knew I needed to do, but I hadn't done. Some of them were part of our challenges. And it really helped me from the standpoint that I had a deadline. Mm. Like, you gave us a deadline. Like, so... So you, you know, want to know what my devious my devious thoughts behind the scenes were? What my original intention and hope was for you was that somehow Ciara would draft you since you guys are both down in South Florida and that she would be able to coach you and y'all figured out a way you could work together moving forward. But that went out the window when you got drafted by Mick and Ryan. So <laughs> that was well, my original hope. That doesn't mean that can't still... No, but I, but I was really thinking, I was thinking, man, if Ciara can work with this lady, they're close. Like you could, it would have been really, really cool. But I didn't put that bug in her ear, right? I didn't say anything. I wanted to let the cards fall as they did. And who knows, maybe, maybe it worked out better for you the way that it is. And you're right. It doesn't mean that it's still, you still can't have a relationship with her and figure out and you know how to make things happen. So, yeah, I mean, I think I just spoke to her like maybe two weeks ago, briefly. She's awesome. Absolutely. So you're out on the streets now, right? You're in production round. How is that going? Um, it's going. It's, uh, you know, because of all of the things I had going on that I explained to you, I, I, didn't, I didn't really have the momentum or the velocity. Well, that was my next question, is how much, of the, I, how much of the distractions have. affected where you're at right now? Tremendously. Tremendously, um, actually, when you notified me on June 21st that I was in the finals, I was kind of like, oh, shit. (laughs) Um, But I'm like, well, I'm here, so run with it. Like, Well, you got to eat anyhow. (laughs) Yeah, right. So um, production round just means you're doing your job every day at this point. Yeah, so, like, there's some things, you know, as I've been going through the production, like, there's some things, like, I'm finding, like, I need to tweak and change some things, like, um, my cold calling script after the workshop that you and Mick did, the premier selling one recently. Oh, yeah. uh, I changed up my cold calling script, Uh, so I'm using something different now because of that workshop. So it's not the same one I did that I created during the protege. I think that one was like a little too salesy and it just wasn't resonating well with people. So has it worked that the changes that you made? I mean, I think it's working better so far. It seems to be. It's only been a week, right? Yeah. Like, okay. yeah. yeah, it's only been about a week. Let us know in another couple of weeks. I mean, nobody's, like, nobody's cursed me out. Nobody's thrown me out and slammed the door on my face. These are wins. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the thing too is it's like, you know, I I go back to it all the time when I was talking with Ryan Stillwell, who's in Power Producers Mastermind one day. He he always asks, like one of his questions is, are you going to hate me if I tell you this call is about insurance? And he gets a lot of traction because people no, I'm not going to hate you. I mean, I probably don't want to talk to you or whatever, but then you can at least have a dialogue started, right? Mm-hmm. And he'll call people. He calls contractors on their cell phones in the morning. That's when they're available. Like 7 o'clock. That's when, they, that's when they're heading out to the so, job site. I mean, I think that 
Yeah, I think the script is an ever, ever an ever evolving <clears throat> weapon that we all have in our arsenal. And if you get too comfortable with it, that's why you have to constantly like look at your stats and see what's working and what's not because the numbers aren't going to lie. You, you just have to figure out what the, you know, get your reports and then work your way back to figure out what part of the process is broken. It's not hard to figure out, right? That's why I mean it's never right. to me if you have if you have good data in your business, running the business is not difficult. Period. Like I was 22 years old had never even bagged groceries other than for my mother. And I was running a store that did $15, 16000000 million a year in sales. <laughs> I had reports. Well, I, knew what my, I knew what all of the line items were that I needed to fix. So as long as I had a report that says, oh, yeah, you need to... But the thing is, if you don't have the data integrity, if your AMS is jacked up, if your CRM's jacked up, and you don't have the reporting capabilities, it makes it almost impossible to run the business profitably. For sure. Right. Yeah, well, technology, you know, is not my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, I've got someone that, you know, helps with a lot of that stuff. As do I. I I'm definitely in that boat with you. Well, listen, I want to be respectful of your time. I've act- we're actually over. I've been trying to keep these at 30 minutes or so. And Brian McCall... Um, God, I think that guy would have gone for two and a half hours if we would have let him yesterday. <laughs> Good grief. But anyhow, before we let you go to get after it, because I don't want to be the reason why you don't produce anything today, any parting words of wisdom? If, if, you, had, if you had the ability to talk to somebody who was on the fence and said, yeah, I don't really think I want to throw my hat in the ring. I don't think I'll learn anything from it or it won't be a valuable experience for me. What would your response to them be? They would be crazy not to. They would be absolutely crazy not to. They have absolutely nothing to loan, lose and everything to gain. There you go. Well, I don't... I, I don't, mean, they've I got... Like, you're just... It doesn't cost them anything. You're giving yourself and your time and the coaches are willing and helpful and they're volunteering their time. Like, they'd be a fool not to take advantage of an opportunity like that. Yeah, and in case anybody didn't listen to any of the upper, other episodes, here's the other part that Karen doesn't know. Nobody lost. Nobody lost in this competition. If you made it to the final 12, you didn't lose. Because when I had to cut from 12 to 8, I told the four people that I let go. I gave them one-on-one coaching for 30 minutes every other week for, I don't remember, for six months or a year. But they all got something for participating. I mean... I didn't have to do that. In my opinion, they got the experience from the other people that were their coaches. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I just say, I, I say that because I have a lot of respect. No matter how bad my feedback has been for anybody, I have a lot of respect for the fact that anybody, for anybody who was willing to put their neck on the line and go out and try. Because there's so many people that don't. Those are the people that are going to sit back and criticize and do this and do that. And to them... I give them a big virtual middle finger. They don't have a vote in the process, right? It's none of their business because they're sitting in their lazy boy and everybody else is putting on their work boots to go out and actually get after it. So, you know, to that end, nobody in the competition has lost. They've all gained something from it and hopefully they've gained things that'll carry well into the future. With that being said, I'm going to wrap up this episode that you get after it today. Kyle and I have some service things we got to handle. We've got, um, (laughs) we're covering multiple desks this week between the two of us. So um, I'm actually issuing certificates this morning. The best. You can believe that. Wow. It's fantastic. (laughs) But 
Why do we do that? Because we need our team to be well-rested and happy and enjoy time with their family and vacation. And I'd say it tongue-in-cheek. I really don't mind doing it. It's good for me to... It, what it does is it forces me to get into the systems more than I really do. You know, I'm, I'm rarely in HubSpot unless it's to look at a report, right? Um, so I'm not looking at contact records. I, I'm typically not really drilling down on deals and things like that. I'm, I'm even less involved with Hawksoft because I, all, I, all I need from that is the reports. But when I start digging around, then I'm like, ah, well, we missed this, we missed this, we missed this. And then I end up sitting in the systems all day fixing stuff. So that's what happens. Anyhow, Karen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for participating. I appreciate everything that you've put into this. Um, it means even more knowing the adversity you were dealing with in other areas of your life, and I, you know this, but I wish you absolutely nothing but the best and continued success. And you know that even though I can be grumpy sometimes, you can email me anytime you want, and I will help you as best I can. So that being said, you do need to know this. Everybody in the production round does get a one-hour lifeline. So if you get an account, even if it's a janitorial account that we've talked about 1,500 times before this morning, and you need help, <laughs> This is your this is your time to get it. So know that you have that out there, okay? Thank Everybody you. else, we'll catch you next week. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.